Uh, we've been in a sermon series entitled uh, The Life We Long For, and would you give a warm welcome to our lead pastor, Chris, as he continues us now in that series. Good morning, Hope Astoria. Pastor Chris here. So excited to continue our sermon series, The Life That We Long For. I want to welcome family, friends, guests that are joining us, and you find us in the middle of a sermon series, which if you have not been with us the previous weeks, I encourage you to go to our website and check out where we've been because we've been exploring this incredible tension that we all experience even if we haven't had the language for it. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think we can all resonate with this tension of the life that we long to live versus the life that we're actually living. And inside of us is a desire to reach for more of life, to not settle in kind of this unfulfilled potential space that many of us find ourselves in. And for us, the answer to that tension is found in looking at the life of Jesus, imitating how he actually lived his life. And so with that said, we're going to go to scripture and we're going to look at a very specific rhythm and practice that was embedded, that was so central to how Jesus lived and will become crucial for you and I if we want to explore what it looks like to live the life we long for. So the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 verse 32 and onward says this, That evening after sunset the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, that you would glorify yourself. May we hear your voice. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus in a fresh and living way to each and every one of us. And may we grow deeper in affection and love for you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, recently, I heard a story that uh, quite gripped me because you don't hear stories like this often. If you speak to most young people uh, that maybe have graduated college the last four or five years, for the vast majority of them, it's their dream to work at one of the big tech firms, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Facebook or Google. Google is so much in our lives. Uh, think of a day that goes by without you're not Googling something. And so I heard this story of this person that it was their dream. They get to Google. They're working there. It's the job that everybody would want. No one would, would think of once you get that prize to walk away from it. But yet they did. And they're walking away to go and take a teaching job that would pay significantly less. That would not be have any prestige compared to Google, you know, most people don't fawn and drool when you say, oh, what do you do? I'm a teacher. That's unfortunate. We should be fawning and drooling when people say I'm a teacher because teachers are so vital to our lives. But most people, they get excited and say, oh, you work at Google. That, that gives some cachet. 
uh, you, 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 you have some status when you say that. So to walk away from something like that is moving. Why I begin there is because in this text, we see something very powerful happening in the life of Jesus because this moment is essentially kind of Jesus' ministry taking off. Prior to this moment, we read in the Gospel of Mark, he actually just spent several weeks in solitude, in the wilderness, alone, in prayer and in fasting. And now he begins his ministry, and as we just read, this scene is pandemonium. People that are sick, that are demon-possessed, are coming to Jesus, and it says the whole town has come to his door. And so ministry is taking off at a scale that's just hard to wrap our minds around. He's healing, he's setting people free, and he's being celebrated. Uh, he has influence, if we want to use kind of language that we use today. Jesus was trending. He, it, 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 there was a popularity, a vibe, a buzz to him, and yet he does something interesting. We read that after all of this amazing scene of Jesus healing and doing incredible miracles, it says that his disciples went to look for him because they couldn't find him. And they, and they had to go to a solitary place. It says he got up very early in the morning and went to a solitary place to pray. And the words that they use when they finally grab him, they say, everyone is looking for you. Man, if, if words could capture kind of the heart desire of our modern era, I think these words capture it. Where we're constantly pushed to become our own celebrity, to elevate our status, to become known, well, to become influencers, to be popular. Jesus obtained that. Everyone was looking for him. I think so many in our culture, we find this delusion, sadly, that we think if everyone is looking for us, that would actually fulfill us. If everyone knew us, if we had a platform, if our brand was known, if if we were popular, if, if we were needed. And at this moment, when Jesus basically has what we search for in our modern life, he does something that's startling. He says, let's go. Let's leave this. Let's go somewhere else. And he picks up and leaves. And that's startling because Jesus had everything that we've been conditioned to pursue. He had influence, he had power, he had celebrity. Yet he walked away from it. And so the question uh, arises, what made this possible? This is a, a startling moment. People normally don't walk away from everything that Jesus is walking away from. But yet he does it. And the question again arises, what made this possible? What we see in Jesus in his life, as we're exploring this idea of the life that we long for, not just believing in Jesus, but imitating how he actually lived his life, what we discover is that for Jesus, his life was rooted in intimacy. At the core of his life was not a pursuit for fame and popularity and possessions. At the core, that's not what drove his life. That's not his values or his priorities in the least. But what was central to his life was a continuous pursuit of intimacy with God the Father. See, this was the consistent practice of Jesus. And this is how he remained focused on the will of God the Father. It was this central grounding to be intimate with the Father versus having a desire for fame and influence that 
so many people would chase then and chase now. That's not what drove Jesus. What was core to him was to be rooted in intimacy with the Father. And that's how he was able to walk away. Because when the, when the disciples came and said, everyone's looking for you, it didn't move Jesus because he wasn't looking for that. He wasn't driven to pursue that. He was driven to pursue intimacy with the Father. And so again, as we've been talking about this idea of going from belief to imitation, where it's not just enough to believe in the words of Jesus, in the truths of Jesus, but then to not seek to imitate how he actually lived his life. And when we seek to imitate his life, that actually sets us up on the pathway to live the life that we long for. And if we're going to imitate his life, this practice of being rooted in intimacy with the Father, of being grounded in this way, is indispensable. We cannot live the life that we long for unless we learn to imitate the way Jesus lived his life, particularly how he lived his life in a sense of being rooted in intimacy with the Father. This is not the first time this happens. Let's look at scripture and see how embedded this practice of being intimate with God the Father, of being intentional to carve out space for prayer and, and, and prioritizing being with the Father above everything else. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. It says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. It's interesting because these verses come before the verses that we just read, before this incredible day of ministry that we just read that Jesus was having, the whole town was coming, he's healing the sick, he's setting people free. We read that he spent 40 days in prayer, in fasting, alone with the Father. Now he comes, and after being alone for 40 days, this is what's so gripping, after being alone for 40 days with the Father, and after one day of explosive ministry, What's the first thing Jesus does? He goes to be alone again. That's amazing. Like you would think you've been 40 days. Do you have to go and pray again? Like it seems like Jesus, you're prayed up. You're, you're, you're good for the month. But no, you see that for Jesus, this was not just a one-off thing. This was embedded. This was his daily rhythm. I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone to the gym and you've seen someone that's incredibly buff and chiseled, the first thought that comes to me is like, you're done. Why are you here? You know, like, you're good. Go back home. The rest of us, we should be here. We got some stuff to work out. In many ways, Jesus is like, you just spent 40 days of prayer and fasting. Do you have to go back to pray just after one day of ministry? And Jesus would, res would respond, absolutely. Because this, this, this isn't just a one-off thing for him. He was rooted in intimacy and that's why he wasn't driven by popularity and by what people wanted from him he was driven by just this desire to be with the father but it doesn't just stop there it happens again mark chapter 6 verse 41 and onward it says this was the moment where uh, a little boy's lunch is multiplied and thousands of people are fed it says taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke the loaves then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full 
of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. It's amazing. After this miracle where Jesus feeds five or thousands, actually, uh, the crowds leave. And look at what, it does, what he does. In verse 45, it's one of the most interesting words. It says, he made his disciples get into a boat. Now, for me, as a dad of four, um, the idea of making my kids get into the car making my kids go to bed, making my, it's, it's always a tug of war. And so I just imagine, what did this look like? He's telling grown men after this incredible miracle, they probably wanted to hang out with Jesus and kind of decompress and say, hey, how'd you do that? This was amazing. No, he had no time for that. Everyone was fed, everyone left, the miracle happened, and he's like ushering them into the boat. Go on ahead of me because he needed to go on the mountainside to pray to be alone with the Father again. That's amazing. But it doesn't just stop there. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 and onward says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We see this is an established rhythm in the life of Jesus. He was busy with ministry. Amazing things were happening everywhere he went. And as soon as he was able to, he would withdraw to be alone, to pray, to be with the Father. This wasn't just a one-off thing. This was an established rhythm in the life of Jesus. And what strikes me about this pattern, this rhythm that we're, that we're examining in order to learn how to imitate this, is that Jesus did this amidst an incredibly busy life. You know, we recently talked about trying to eliminate hurry. And it's interesting because Jesus was never hurried, yet he was incredibly busy. And so in order to not be hurried doesn't mean that we become idle and that we stop doing things that we need to do. Actually, what we see in Jesus is that it's possible to have an incredibly busy life, yet not be hurried. And in the midst of his busyness, it's amazing how he prioritized prayer. I want to talk that, about that for a second, this idea of priorities and busyness. See, because we see that Jesus prioritized spending time with the Father. It was this daily rhythm for him to get alone with the Father, even in the midst of being busy. And I, in my experience, if you want something done, you should contact a busy person. And that's counterintuitive because normally we would think, who's doing the least? That's the person we should try to ask to do something because their plate is empty. But there's probably a reason why their plate is empty is because they probably don't have a lot of initiative. They don't have a lot of follow through. But busy people 
normally will find a way to get something done. And it's interesting, busy people, despite how busy they are, they have priorities within their busyness. I have a friend that he started out in Goldman Sachs in the mailroom. And at this point, he's a VP. And it's an incredible story. This man uh, actually came to faith in a jail cell while he was a teenager. And he uttered a Sunday school song. It, it was this key moment. He's surrounded by like 30, 40 other inmates. And he begins to sing out in the jail cell, Jesus loves me, this I know. And he, and he cries out to God and puts faith in Christ at that moment. He sees the judge the next day, and the judge had incredible compassion, said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to close the books on this case. This will be as if it never happened if you commit to straighten out your life. He did. He went to a vocational school, got his GED, ends up in the mailroom, and now he's a VP at Goldman Sachs. This man's one of the busiest guys I know. I mean, if you've read stories about investment bank, banking, the culture, they grind their employees. So I would hear his schedule and it was insane, insane. But in the midst of that schedule, he never let up on going to the gym, on taking care of his body. He would pack his lunch, his dinner sometimes, his second dinner, because sometimes he'd be there like 18 hours. It was an insane schedule. And I learned something as I watched him growing up because he was a mentor to me. And that is that you can really tell someone's priorities in the midst of their busyness. What's most important to them, what despite a busy schedule, when you see someone say, regardless of the pace of life right now, I'm gonna make sure I do these things. Yeah, life is busy, but I'm gonna make sure I get home at a certain time to be with my family. Life is busy, but I'm gonna make sure I keep calling my mom and checking in on my family. You see someone's priorities in the midst of busyness more than anything. When we're relaxed, it's hard to tell what actually is a priority. But when you have a choice between this activity and that, and then you make sure you do that one thing, you know that that's a priority in that person's life. And in Jesus, we see very clearly that he prioritized being with the Father, even in the midst of insane busyness. Because the reality is, none of us are busier than Jesus was. None of us would dare put our schedules compared to Jesus. And if actually you think your schedule is busier than Jesus, then please stop right now, pray right now, call someone from the church, because that's a scary thought if you and I are living our lives busier than Jesus. But chances are we're not. We don't have entire towns coming to our doorsteps and the sick and people that are oppressed coming and, and the need of people constantly. Yet Jesus had all of that. And in the midst of that busyness, he never let a day go by where he did not prioritize this rhythm of being with the Father. We see that so vividly. In the busyness of life, we see his priorities. See, because busyness takes a toll on our bodies, our focus. And in, in all reality, it does make prayer hard. When we're busy, we're tired, we're distracted, yet... It doesn't fully explain why we don't spend time with God. One of the things I've heard throughout the years from many Christians is that the biggest reason why they don't spend time with God intentionally is because they say, I'm just too busy. And, and for years, I, I, I would say that sometimes, and I would be compassionate, and I'm still compassionate when I hear that, but yet, in the midst of being compassionate, I realize that for many of us, that's an excuse. And it's not a valid excuse in light of the fact that Jesus was busy. 
yet he always prioritized prayer. And that had nothing to do with his sinlessness, that just had to do with his priorities. He always prioritized it, despite being busy. And what, what's become clearer to me over the years is that the reason why busyness tends to knock off, knock off our focus from prayer and tends to distract us and, and kind of hinder us from making prayer a priority is really because something else is at the center of our lives. Something else occupies the center of our souls. See, for Jesus, nothing else occupied the center of his life but intimacy with the Father. And that's why it didn't matter if towns were coming to him asking for healing or if he just multiplied a little boy's lunch and thousands were fed. It did not matter if he had to usher grown men into a boat so that he could be alone. He would do whatever he had to do. If he had to wake up super early before the sun would rise, there was nothing that would get in Jesus' way because prayer and intimacy was at the center of his life. And what I realized for us reason why prayer doesn't actually become such a priority for us and we don't live into the constant rhythm and imitate this rhythm of Jesus where life is busy but we retreat to be with God. Life is busy but we wake up a little earlier to be with God. Things are hectic but we stay up a little later. If we have to move priorities around and, and activities, we'll do whatever we can. reason why for many of us that doesn't happen is because something else is at the center of our life. What's at the center of your life? What's the thing that you're going to rather than running to the presence of God? What is the thing that's occupying the seat of your affections? Is it binge watching? Is it just endlessly talking with people? Text threads? Is it, is it social media? Um, is it some hobby? Whatever it is, it can be a good thing that we've allowed to become too big in our lives by occupying the place that only intimacy with God should occupy. See, for Jesus, it didn't matter what was going on. He was always going to pray because that was at the center of his life. And so for us, I want to invite you to examine what's at the center of your life because our inability to make prayer a rhythm in our life, a consistent pattern, has nothing to do with our busyness. It has more to do with what we've allowed to be at the center of our life. I remember when I was single, there were things that were at the center of my life that would occupy my heart so that I wouldn't run to God. And now as a married man and a father, there's things that can occupy my time and my heart that cause it to be difficult for me to run to God when I sense his invitation, when I know tomorrow's gonna be so busy it's too busy for me not to pray. And yet, if I'm not intentional and not aware, I can find myself running to these different things rather than running to the presence of God. What are you running to? What's calling you and distracting you from running to the presence of God? It's time that we make intimacy with God the center of our life so that we can begin to imitate how Jesus lived in this rhythm of, Despite how busy I am, prayer and intimacy with God will always be a priority. If I have to pray in the middle of the day, so be it. If I only have 15 minutes tomorrow, then that 15 minutes is going to be, be a gift that I give to Jesus. If I have to wake up early, whatever it is, 
when prayer is at the center of our lives, we will find a way. And so it's, this is an opportunity to reprioritize what's at the center of our lives so that like Jesus, prayer would be at the core of our existence. And look at what Jesus does. If we look at his pattern, he seems to consistently do a few things. One, we see that he finds solitary places. Sometimes it was the wilderness, sometimes it was a mountainside. But we see this pattern that Jesus would pick out these spots, these places. Uh, a garden, we read at different times. He would find these locations where he would just be alone. And so if you and I are going to imitate Jesus and actually live into this life that we long for, that's a first place to start. What's your solitary place? I know that can be difficult in New York City where every, like, we're on top of each other and there's so little space. But I encourage you to find that solitary place. For some people, it could be your car ride. It could be uh, extra time in the bathroom. Uh, I've heard it all. It could be just staring at a window. Um, it, it could be a morning walk, a night stroll. I, I knew this one man that he had one of the most vibrant prayer lives that I've ever encountered in a human being. And I asked him, where do you spend so much time with God? And he said, grocery shopping said while he would go up and down the aisles, he would just spend time talking with God. It was, uh, it, it, the way he described it, it sounded like the most worshipful thing I had ever heard. I just was like, really? You're shopping for vegetables. It sounds amazing. It's all different for all of us. I, 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 don't, I would dare not be prescriptive and tell you what you should do or how you should do it, but there is something about this idea of Jesus finding a solitary place. We all need that place that we go to that's dedicated, that we know that's where I connect with God. Maybe it's a hiking trip. Maybe it's, it's a, a vacation where you bake an extra time just to be with God. Uh, you, it, all sorts of ways. I, I could just go on and on. But those, more than thinking of these one-off things that are unsustainable, Think of something that can be sustainable, the solitary place where you could be alone with God on a consistent basis. The other thing that we see is that Jesus was consistent. It was an everyday pattern for him. I remember hearing a story years ago of this pastor that he was very ashamed that he was not making prayer a priority. Uh, it was on his calendar every single day, prayer at 7 a.m., and he would wake up and he would be so unmotivated, even though it was in his calendar. And then he had this kind of change of perspective. And he changed it in his calendar from prayer to encounter God. And every single day from that moment onward, he would wake up. And yeah, sometimes he'd be groggy and he'd have to push himself. But it, it was a difference in him and say, how could I resist encountering God? I'm going to go and be with God. You know, recently, in full disclosure, uh, I'm happy to share that there's been like this revival in my own heart with respect to prayer because a perspective change has happened for me. The way I'm viewing prayer now after these many years, I've been a Christian since I was 14 years old, I'm 41 now, and prayer has been a core practice in my life for all of those years. I've been inconsistent, I've not been perfect but it's been very core to just how I follow Jesus. 
and I'm excited to say it's come alive again. It's fresh, and here's what's happened. I'm beginning to view prayer as this. It's the practice of being with God as I honor His desire to love me. That changed everything for me in that now when I go to pray, there's this thought inside my soul that says, God, I'm here because I know you desire to love me. And I don't want to dishonor your desire to love me. And so sometimes I'll just spend, I don't even keep track of time, just in silence before God, just simply with that thought, with scripture before me, Lord, I'm here to receive your love. I don't understand why you love me. I think you have a lot of reasons to not love me, but yet you love me regardless. You fully know me, and yet you love me. And so prayer has gone from this religious kind of practice to simply, I'm coming to God to experience his love for me. I come to receive this love. And so with that thought, I want to ask you this week, as you're kind of sitting with this invitation from Jesus, what would it look like for you to imitate God, the Lord Jesus Christ, how he lived his everyday life in making prayer the center of your day? What would prayer being the center of your day look like for you? With that thought in mind, I want to invite you to let's start now. Before we even end our time this morning together, I'm going to invite you to enter into a time of prayer for two minutes. It's going to be a timer that's going to come on the screen. And what I want you to do for these next two minutes is to simply bring yourself to God. And would you repeat those words that have become very dear to me recently? Lord, I'm here to let you love me. And in those two minutes, receive his love. Welcome the Holy Spirit's presence right there where you're at and receive the love of God. Let's begin our two minutes of prayer at this time.
welcome back. The other thing I wanted to invite every single one of us is a way to kickstart our prayer life. And that starting on Monday, May 10th at 7 a.m. and 12 noon till the 14th of that week, going to be leading a time of prayer, 30 minutes, 7 a.m. to 7.30, 12 noon to 12.30. You could join in on Zoom. And we're going to be praying, seeking God's, praying through Scripture for 30 minutes. I, I tell you, we recently did this during Holy Week, and just the consistent pattern of creating intentional space in our day to be with God was absolutely revolutionary. I want to invite you to consider being a part of that, especially if you recognize, man, my prayer life is stale. I'm not carving out that intentional time. I need to find ways to be with Jesus, to imitate how he lived his life. This would be an incredible way to jumpstart that. Second thing I want to invite you to do is to join a small group. If you're not part of a small group, you are missing out on one of the key ways that we seek to make uh, the, the, the journey of being a disciple accessible. If you want to follow Jesus, be a student of his life, imitate him, it's impossible to do so on our own. Jesus never designed this pathway of being a disciple to be accomplished as an isolated, solitary thing. We need community. And in small groups, we get to practice the way of Jesus together, imitate his life together. And so if you're looking for another resource to jumpstart your prayer life and make prayer a central part of your life, joining a small group would be absolutely essential. With that, I want to invite us to pray. Would you join me as we close our time? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would be with every single one of us as we seek to not just believe in you, but to imitate how you lived your everyday life. Prayer was not an afterthought to you. It was core. It was central. When you were busiest, we see you praying. And would you help us, busy people, that often that's the biggest hindrance, prioritize prayer in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.